2: Hello and welcome to Hysteria.
3: I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. And I'm Grace Parajani. Good morning, everybody, or afternoon or evening.
2: Whatever it is, you know what time it is? It's time to talk about succession. Uh. Uh, we're obsessed, we started last week. For anybody listening who has not watched the finale, mute us, fast forward a minute, do what you gotta do, but we can't, we have to discuss this. Okay, Grace, long fucking live Tom hands oh. What the fuck? I am so ready for
3: House Walms to finally take over the show. i I feel like the writers have been so carefully laying this out for three seasons. It makes me yes. thrilled. I love it. I rewatched Pride and Prejudice starring. Uh, oh, uh Matt yes. McFadden. By the way, I re- I, it's amazing, but it's the first time I've seen it since he started playing Tom Wamsgans. It's, it's amazing. I mean, the actor's brilliant. The acting is brilliant. Uh, the character's fantastic. He is just getting his
2: just desserts, finally. I'm so excited for Fine. But, like, also, can we just discuss that Logan Roy, when speaking to his three children, called <laughs> them fucking pedestrians? <laughs> I mean, like... That, like I have re- I have watched it twice already and yes, the second yes. time I already heard things I missed the first time but like <laughs> I mean the what? gall the gall of Logan Roy you know
3: I don't think he will ever die even when Logan Roy is no longer on this planet like when his flesh and bones are no longer operating he's, his his presence is still going to exist he's still going to be living he living is. on and i i love that about the show that he just
2: can't be squashed he can't i fucking win it's he's i win i mean but also <laughs> when tom is talking to greg and he's like do you want to make oh. a deal with the devil and greg who has also just like come on so great this season he's like oh yeah he's like huh who needs a soul anyway? It's like, what? <laughs> this is so good. So I New have to say. souls. A lot of shows have not been living up to expectations for me, but this one exceeded them by a mile. It was my Christmas miracle. I have to agree completely. I don't know what my Sundays are going to be
3: like or subsequent days, frankly, since we don't have succession anymore. I think I might start writing succession fan fiction. That's the old. I've never done that for a show, but I feel like it's the only way that I can get out all the juicy little bits that I
2: want. Is that nasty? I just said juicy little bits. Juicy little bits, you (laughs) fucking pedestrian. (laughs) Today, I'm joined by Grace Parajani and Caroline Reston to tackle the following questions. Is Gavin Newsom the new king of petty? Has the succession bloodline been broken? Will Grace and I get canceled for our answers to your spicy mailbag questions? All this and more coming up. Hello, we're back. And once again, I'm joined by my festive little pepper, Grace Parajani. (laughs) I'm super festive. I'm wearing a scarf today, by the way. I mean, you super festive little pepper who, by the way, people should not forget to check out Solar Opposites, the adult animated comedy on Hulu. She writes and produces. It's now airing their Christmas special, season three coming out in just a few weeks. Mm -hmm. Okay, Grace, let's get into it because I'm pretty sure California Governor Gavin Newsom just executed one of the greatest trolls of all time? I had to reread this a few times, but on Saturday after the Supreme Court decided to allow Texas six-week abortion ban to remain in effect, he announced he would push for a new law modeled on Texas's abortion ban that would let private citizens sue anyone who makes or sells assault weapons or ghost guns. The proposed bill would allow Californians to sue anyone who manufactures, distributes, or sells an automatic weapon or ghost gun kit or parts for damage. The same injunction-skirting mechanism Texas has used to ban all abortions after six weeks, which so far has been permitted by the Supreme Court. Grace, what do you think about this? Is it a slippery slope, or do we love it? So my first
3: thought was it is a slippery slope into justice. Because— I love how petty it is. I really, really do. Especially when that pettiness is warranted as it is in this case. And it's such a its such a direct, like a direct link to what Texas is doing. And it really needs to be shouted out in that way. I like it a lot. I will say, though, that the idea of giving private citizens this much power is very spooky to me. I mean, obviously, I agree. <laughs> you know, Texas should not have that position of power as private citizens to be able to, um, you know, to call out people who've had abortions. And I think uh, same ultimately with Californians. But for Newsom, I love how petty he's being. I think... uh, I think he would fit in very well with our I Feel Petty uh, segment here on Hysteria with that
2: move. Yeah, I mean, we'll be watching it to see what actually uh, comes of this, but I wonder if it will give even the creepiest Republicans pause, you know, that this Mm. is in fact a slippery slope, like have we gone too far? Is there a reason the Supreme Court exists? But right now the Supreme Court, well, at least two-thirds of it mostly, is giving Uh us a reason to think that there's no need for them to exist. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see what happens. Until June of 2022, from what I understand, which is so
3: long to wait, by the way. Tinder hooks and pins and needles. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So as you and many of our listeners know, I am a very proud Texan. Uh, We're very accustomed to wrath of God thunderstorms, which occur on the regular. But here in LA, we actually had our first rainstorm in almost a year yesterday. And when I say the city almost completely shut down. I really, I truly mean it. I mean, it was probably like half an inch of rain and the city does not know how to handle any sort of inclement weather. So uh, I cannot even begin to imagine the devastation uh, that happened last Friday when more than 30 unexpected Deadly tornadoes ravaged four states, including Kentucky, Arkansas, Tennessee, and Missouri, uh, leaving seventy-four people dead, hundreds unaccounted for. Radar suggested that the tornado in Mayfield threw debris. I couldn't believe this—over thirty thousand feet into the air. That's like the altitude that commercial airlines fly. It's 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 wild to think about debris, pets, people, hats, everything just flying up that far into the air. And meteorologists have said that climate change most likely made the tornado outbreak worse because it altered and amplify the ingredients that produce the outbreak. For instance, higher than average December temperatures. Uh, You know, these kinds of events are very rare in December. So um, it's shocking to see it at any time of the year. It's particularly shocking to see it at this point in December. And President Biden is expected to visit these sites today. So Alyssa, my question is, as Deputy Chief of Staff to Obama, I know you visited these sites dozens of times. What was your reaction upon hearing this?
2: And what should we expect to happen now? So I have been to an ungodly number of uh, devastated communities, whether it be hurricanes or tornadoes. But specifically tornadoes, I went to Joplin, Missouri right after the uh, tornadoes ripped through there and uh, Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And Grace, I can tell you that when you see, I remember in Joplin, Missouri, the sports stadium, the football stadium at the high school, the bleachers were literally curled into themselves oh uh, my God. when we were there. It was, it's, it's, unless you are there to see it yourself, it's sort of unbelievable. And right now, the most important thing so, so President Biden is going down. Uh, He will probably thank first responders. He will visit the most heavily impacted communities. He will probably go to some of the shelters where people are now that they have lost their homes. Um, Some of the stories that I heard, though, are just incredible. Like a a daughter, her mother, their aunt all live pretty far apart, all lost their homes. But, you know, a house a mile away was untouched. And Mm -hmm. so right now, the thing to remember is that these folks more than anything need shelter. They need shelter, they need food, and they need funds. And so by the president going down, I mean, you can't underestimate what it means to people who are grieving to see that the president of the United States is witnessing with his own eyes what has happened Mm -hmm. to them. Um, Mm -hmm. The relief that the... uh, the administration has already gotten down there, is is unparalleled. They're moving really quickly. Um, but the one thing that I learned on all of my visits with uh, Craig Fugate, who was our FEMA administrator, who was not just a uh, FEMA administrator and a crisis manager and uh, disaster zone expert, but he also had a real philosophy behind these things, which is that the goods that we donate and and the clothing and food that people need is great and it is necessary. But the thing that helps the most from turning people from a victim mentality into a survivor mentality is giving them the money and the funds to help start rebuilding their lives. So there are lots of places that folks can donate if they want to help. If you're able to and want to support those affected by the tornadoes, We love World Central Kitchen. Our friend Jose Andreas has been out helping people, feeding them, and good nutritious meals. I've actually talked to Jose Andreas about this, that by giving people actual, like, delicious, delicious food to eat makes Uh them feel like the next day is going to be an okay day. And Uh so – World Central Kitchen is on the ground in central and southern U.S., providing fresh meals for communities recovering from the devastating tornadoes that hit on December 10th. Donations will also support their Climate Disaster Fund, critical resources that allow us to urgently respond to climate-related events in Kentucky and around the world. A link to this organization and a few others will be in our show notes. Very sad. Very sad to see all that's going on.
3: Yes, yes. Thank you for sharing your uh, personal experience with having been in those locations in the past. What's striking to me is how frequently it happens Mm -hmm. and how no community is safe from the experience of some sort of disaster like this at any given point. And what's particularly important to remember right now about these communities is that Christmas is right around the corner. The holiday season is a particularly stressful time for everybody, uh, and every family and to experience this kind of devastation and loss of resources right before the holiday season, uh, for families, especially I imagine is really, really difficult. So thank you for calling out the world central kitchen. I'm really excited to, to donate to them, um, and to the climate disaster fund and, uh, you know, just to continue to keep our eyes on on these locations and be as empathetic as possible knowing that truly we are living in an era where this could happen to any of us at any given time.
2: Yes. And you know, the one thing that I wanted to say that actually made me really upset in the aftermath of this were random people who were tweeting like, Kentucky, this is what you get for voting Mitch McConnell, your senator. That's oh so fucking- dark and wrong and inappropriate, and, you know, I just, I needed to say that out loud because I was literally appalled that people would take the opportunity to say something so fucking insane. Um, But anyway, let's also, (laughs) so let's pivot to something also quite disturbing, but maybe a little juicy too. So on Monday, Representative Liz Cheney, the ranking Republican on the bipartisan committee investigating the January 6th Capitol riot, read a series of text messages she said Meadows received during the Capitol attack. In the messages, several people, including Donald Trump Jr. and Fox News hosts Laura Ingram and Sean Hannity, Meadows to get then President Donald Trump to tell his supporters to leave the Capitol. These texts were part of a stack of documents Trump Chief of Staff Mark Meadows had handed over to the committee before he pussied out from testifying. The evidence oh, oh. turned over included thousands of documents, texts, emails, and full PowerPoint presentations. Grace? You want to read some of these texts? I'd love to, because the
3: the language used within is so colloquial, so urgent, so striking to me. Uh, here's a few of the texts that Mark Meadows received. Hey, Mark! Protesters are literally storming the Capitol, breaking windows on doors, rushing in. Is Trump going to say something? Okay. Hey, Mark, we are under siege up here at the Capitol. They have breached the Capitol. There's an armed standoff at the House chamber door. We are all helpless. Tell them to go home. POTUS needs to calm this shit down. Here's something striking, too, is about who is sending these text messages. Laura Ingram writes, Hey, Mark, the president needs to tell people in the Capitol to go home. This is hurting all of us. He's destroying his legacy. Laura Ingram wrote that. Laura Ingram My God. And then I couldn't believe that even Donald Trump Jr. started getting into the mix with this. He texted, he's got to condemn this shit ASAP. The Capitol Police tweet is not enough. He texted again and again saying, we need an Oval address. He has to lead now. It has gone too far and gotten out of hand. That's coming from Trump's own son. I mean, that's like Shiv Roy saying, hey, guys, sorry, Logan Logan needs to be taken down. It's time. It is exactly those same vibes. I could not believe how many people were texting him at this point.
2: Uh, all the evidence is so clear to me. You know, Why are we not seeing this? And the best is Mark Meadows should be brought up on charges for surely, I don't know what charges, but some charges, because he <laughs> literally just keeps replying to these texts like, on it I agree. It's like, <laughs> guess what, Grace? When I reply someone back on it, I've I've done it. It's it's I'm handled. Gonna be, it's handled exactly, exactly. And yet, in this case,
3: not even a tiny bit handled. So, I, you know, I guess in some ways, my question is: Does it make you feel like some of these people, the Laura Ingrins of the world, the the Donald Trump Juniors of the world, like they have more of a soul than we anticipated? That they're a little more. It's actually aware? worse.
2: It makes me think less of them because they knew it was wrong. They Mm -hmm. knew it was dangerous. But Mm. because the thing that we have to highlight is that as they were sending these texts… Within minutes or hours, they were on television saying these people were patriots and that everybody was blowing, you know, blowing this out of proportion and Mm blah, 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 blah. So they knew it was wrong. They were scared. They were like, stop it. But then they got on television so afraid of Donald Trump and they were like, this is groovy. This is fine. (laughs) This is not a problem. Everybody stop being snowflakes. These are just tourists. And so I think that, like, you know, when you know better, you do better. Not them.
3: <laughs> not them. Absolutely not. And the evidence is right there. In our, hey, text means something, by the way. I do love how text can stick around for a long time. I, I mean, really. I know. <laughs> obviously, there's the element of it that's a little scary because you're like, oh, shit, did I text something inappropriate? But it also makes me realize that the funny texts, the
2: meaningful texts, those things stick around, too. So watch your texts, y'all. Watch your texts. All right, we're going to end on a high note. Grace, I think you have a toast. I have a very meaningful toast this week. I want a toast to our
3: conservator-free queen, Britney Spears, okay? Because what a girl wants is spilling the tea almost 20 years later, which Britney did by taking to her Instagram a couple days ago and calling out, Diane Sawyer for her completely unfair treatment of Britney back in a 2003 interview on ABC. I don't know if you guys saw this uh this post that Britney did. But basically she was calling out Diane for saying, "Listen, I was but a young woman in 2003. I was forced against my will by my manager, by my parents to do the sit-down interview with you, Diane. And rather than make it an empathetic moment where you actually tried to get to know me, instead, you just called me out
2: for being a slut." And if you go back and see the interview, Alyssa, oh my god. It's crazy. Word. I watched it. Yes, what were your thoughts? I mean, it is – you know what the thought is? Because I am, like, the guiltiest person on earth. I'm like, I can't believe I didn't think this was as appalling as it is back in 2003. Like, I think then we just watched it and we're like, Brittany's going to be on TV. But, I mean, it is – they're literally, like – like Diane Sawyer is asking the most probing, like gross, inappropriate questions. I know, I
3: know, I know. And 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 there's that moment where she shows the video of Justin Timberlake's Crimea River, and she's yeah. basically like, "You made him do that. What do you think about that? The fact that you made him write that song?" And she's like, "I I didn't. I broke up with this guy because the relationship wasn't great for me, and I can't control what he does as an artist." It was so in. It was so biting, and it was so mean, and so slut shaming. It was so- mean. It really was, you know, and we, we, I'm so proud of Brittany for calling calling that out and you know it doesn't matter how much time has passed, clearly it's something that still sits wrong with her. And I think we should all feel free to do that, you know, especially as we get older and realize the injustices that many of us experienced as young women. Um, you know, it, it's not necessarily that you have to take to a public forum to to release, you know, these these thoughts and these concerns uh in retrospect, but I do think it's important to come to terms with them internally and uh when appropriate, like I think it is in this case, to call it out. So you you know, Brittany, it's fantastic because I I just think that this this will influence journalists of of all varieties going forward to treat the people that they are interviewing with some grace and some dignity. Even if you as an interviewer don't necessarily support the person who you're interviewing, they are at least owed that level of dignity, especially when it's, you know, a young woman who has clearly been through so much and who had been under the public eye and that level of scrutiny for years, even prior to that interview. So uh, we toast you, Queen Brittany.
2: On that note, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll be answering you, the listener's mailbag questions. Okay, we're back. Before we get to your mailbag questions, next week's episode will be a very special holiday edition of the show. Grace and I will be joined by Megan Gailey and Naomi Ekparrigan, whose new half-hour special premieres on season three of The Stand-Ups on Netflix, December 29th. We'll be discussing holiday movies and all your and our favorite wild holiday movie tropes. And we'll be deep diving into the Lifetime holiday movie, The Christmas Setup. Be sure to watch the movie before next week. It stars Fran Drescher. Yes. So you are in for a real treat. We'll link where to watch the movie in the show notes. Okay. Now on to your questions. And joining us to moderate this sure-to-be-rambunctious mailbag segment is our producer, Caroline Reston. Hi, Caroline. Hi, Caroline. Hi. Hi. Thank you guys for having me. Obviously. Now… Don't go easy on us. We asked for
3: the spicier, the better. We did. We said spicy. I'm real excited. I've, start, I've started to see some of the
2: questions uh, coming in on social media. You guys are good.
0: Oh, okay. I thought you were looking at my list. Oh, oh no. no, no. We're, like,
2: Grace. Oh, this is very important for people to know. To make this truly fun, Grace and I have not seen the questions that Caroline has picked. This is truly going to be an adventure. Mm, I can't
0: wait. <laughs> okay. So you guys know I've separated them into personal political. Of course. Ah, yeah. I love it. I love it. And then one section is just random slash culture slash succession because we also got a few questions about. succession, yes. obviously. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. I'm going to start off with, you know, I'm not going to tell you. I'm just going to start off with one. Okay. Ange asks, my former BFF is Elise Stefanik. How do I stop feeling sad about it even though she's so awful now?
2: I mean, here's the thing. I feel like Elise took a turn, right? And I mean, she used to, Elise was celebrated back when she came to Congress. I think she was the youngest woman to ever be elected to Congress at that time. Um, And she was like a real rising star. I mean, like Mm -hmm. she was on like the Marie Claire when I was a contributing editor at Marie Claire, she was on the new guard list. And so I feel like she just needs to accept that like there was a fork in the road and Elise took the wrong fork, and she can't, she just has to move on, or lead with curiosity. Reach out to Elise. Be like, girl, what are you doing? Why? Tell me why.
3: That's what I was going to say. You know, it's interesting. I think we all have friends in our lives who have taken that wrong fork. And the question is, do you believe that that friendship is one that at some point can be resuscitated? Is there any sort of value that it brings to you? And I believe that leading with curiosity and, and uh, respect for the former life of your friend and who they were to you at some meaningful point in your life is, uh, is worth consideration. So, you know, I, I believe also that people can change. I believe that friendships ebb and flow. Um, I think it's also, by the way, respectful if you want to take
0: the path of never speaking to this person again. That's fair. Totally fair. Okay, next question is from Chelsea, and she asks, fuck, Mary kill. Matt Gates, Lauren Boebert, and Sean Hannity. Oh God! Can I? Can I?
2: Can I kill them? You all? Got, you got to
0: marry. You got to fuck. <laughs> oh, you Got to no. kill. Okay.
2: Okay. I've got it. I've got it. Okay. Fuck Matt Gates. I guess. Whoa. M- marry Sean Hannity. Kill Lauren Boebert. Is that how we do it? Is that is okay. that the only is that the only permutation? I don't know. The only adjustment I'd make is
3: I would consider marrying Lauren and how that might <laughs> how that might affect her politics and the politics of people around her. Uh, but otherwise, I think yeah, I think you nailed it. Okay. Oh, that's a tough one, guys. They're spicy. I would
0: kill Matt Gates. Didn't he like sex
2: traffic? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we are yeah. marrying that? We fucking that? No, we're no fu- yo fuck <laughs> Matt. I mean, look.
3: You Here's the ha- thing about marriage. Fuck. You
2: can hate fuck Matt. <laughs>
3: I don't yeah, know. And also, <laughs> if you're married to somebody, you could do marriage counseling and maybe that would help Matt down the road, also, right? I, I think
2: know. Sean, no, I think that Sean Hannity, right. because I think we made him marry. I think that he was someone who wrote one of the texts to Mark Meadows that was like, yo, bro, this is out of control. So I, I mean, I guess that makes him slightly more redeemable than Lauren Boebert, who's just taking Christmas card pictures with semi-automatic weapons. Uh, yeah. Okay. That's fair. That's very fair. Okay. So two
0: people kind of asked the same question here, Franck and Taryn. Okay. I'm getting married next month, and I already had a conversation with my fiance about how, how I am not changing my name. He's fine with that, supportive. I asked him if he would change his last name. He responded very quickly with a, and a thank you. End of discussion. Did you all have conversations with your now spouses Do you know any men who've changed their last name? Most of my girlfriends have not changed their name, but one friend decided to hyphenate after having kids because her kids didn't have the same last name. What are your thoughts on hyphenating and just, like, last name changing in general?
3: You know, I've actually seen a few men uh, hyphenate their names of late, increasingly so, which I think is interesting. Um, I don't know any man who has switched in heterosexual marriages who has completely switched over to his wife's name, but I have seen them combine names a few times. Um, um, it's really tricky. It's a very personal decision. What's important is that you guys end up on the same page. If if it felt a little odd that your husband was immediately like, no, I'm not going to do that. I think that's an understandable reaction. I think that's an understandable reaction. Um, I know for me, it was important. I did change my last name officially, but it was important to me to keep my last name in my in my name somewhere. Um, I changed my middle name to Para. So technically now I'm Grace Grace Parajani. I like going by all three names because I think it kind of uh, sort of feels like a hyphenate, but isn't. Um, but I, 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 there's no universal for this. I, I really, I, as I was going through the process, I really hoped there would be some sort of universal to it, but um, I haven't found that to be the case. Alyssa, what do you think?
2: So I, uh, I got married when I was 37 or 38. And so and my last name's is Master Monaco. So there was really either I was going to drop Master Monaco and take Crone, and then who the fuck is Alyssa Crone? Do you know what I mean? At like that <laughs> point, it's like, who is this person? So for me, it was pretty easy, but that's just because my last name was really long and I was older. So I felt like I had really settled into Master Monaco. Like once you've learned at a very young age, M is in Mary, A S is in Sam, T is in Tom, R O M is in Mary, O N is in Nick, ACO. Like, you really can't go back.
0: <laughs> that was
2: poetry.
0: <laughs> Can I also just throw in? I don't know if you guys have seen Father of the Bride Part 2. Of course. Uh Obviously. they throw in a really great third alternative, which is alternative last names. And uh, <laughs> I mean, not to just people do this, but it always makes me laugh thinking that. Steve Martin's going to have a granddaughter named Sophie Zank. Yes. (laughs) That's right. That's right. I do love that option. So you can always do an alt last name. Okay. This question is from Sierra, and it's for Alyssa. Alyssa, what's your least favorite jam combo? My
2: least favorite jam combo. Oh, my goodness. Well, you know what I will say? I have not had great success with Apple. Um to mm. me it always ends up giving the consistency of applesauce, which I love applesauce, but in a jam, I will say I'm sort of not into the uh into the apples in my jam. Ooh, that's
3: that's really good. I would have to second that. Um, but I also wonder that sometimes I I like I like a citrus a jam, a citrus marmalade, mm-hmm. but sometimes they can go a little heavy on the peel. Yes. And and if it's a little too chunky, peel centric, it tends to be on the bitter side for me like a, a kind of you
2: know, just just a little, a little a little bitter to the to the taste, which is so funny because I have sent you some marmalade that is on its way to you but oh because God. but because I have the same feeling, you can actually control it by how much pith <gasps> you include. So oh, you oh. will now be the judge of oh. uh,
3: of the marmalade oh, wow.
2: situation.
3: Oh, I'm so excited. Wait, is so too much
0: pith is what leads to too much
3: pith to make it bitter? Yeah. Got it. That's it. Oh my God.
0: I love it. Um, okay. I'm really jumping around from personal. Yeah, whatever. We're and good. Random, just so you know. Okay. So Megan asks I'm reaching out to you all from Nancy Pelosi's district in San Francisco, also mine, huh. my home district. My question for you is: When Nancy Pelosi retires, which hopefully is not for a long time, who in the Democratic Party do you see as a viable replacement for her as Speaker of the House? Assuming, of course, Democrats retained the House.
2: You know who I'm super Ooh. into. I have a quick, I have a quick top of the top of the head um, candidate, uh, Pramila Jayapal.
1: I think that as
2: part of this Build Back Better negotiation that, you know, I think that the media always tries to portray progressives as sort of like these petulant children who are asking for too much too fast. And I think that she… Uh, one understands that in Congress, you're always going to have to negotiate. And I think that mm-hmm. she has been statesperson-like throughout this whole process. I think she's been great at explaining. I think she understands compromise. So I would say uh, Pramila Jayapal. I, I second that. I really
3: like Pramila, oh, who's a uh, hysteria, hysteria alum as well. Yes, she is. Um, God, I can't think of anybody who's better than that. Is this a universal… Resounding yes to
2: to Pramila. I think we're on so. team we're on team Jayapal. When or if the opportunity should ever present itself,
0: I'm gonna clip this and send this to
2: her. Yeah, please people. do. I was just writing that down.
0: <laughs> um, okay, Scamp asks, "Who is the hottest Republican legislator?" Oh gosh, Shit. oh my gosh, that's real tough.
2: Okay, I've got uh, an answer. Okay, okay, so fast, Alyssa. Yeah. Liz Cheney. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. Like, I'm sorry. She, no, there's also that little Adam Kinzinger. He seems like a nice oh, he's, person. he's, he's, yeah, yeah. Hold on. I gotta pull up a picture I of him. don't oh, stand, I don't stand for a lot of what Liz Cheney does, but I don't think that that's the point. I think that we have to live in a country where we don't agree with our neighbors sometimes. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And I think that, like, at least... If you can call a duck a duck, which is what I think she's doing, you know, with this January 6th committee, that, like, I'm okay with it. And I'm not going to give anybody else in the party, you know, top sexy pot, you know, (laughs) accreditation. So I say Liz Cheney. Oh, I, I really like that. My my brain
3: immediately went to, and I cannot believe this. Uh, to the symmetry in, in Madison Cawthorn's face, there's something that's very like telegenic about it, and it makes me. It does not bring me pleasure to 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 say that. Trust me when I say that that is not the case. I don't like anything about that. That's where my brain went, but there's a lot of symmetry in that man's jawline. He's a little like little little Tom Brady esque, which um coming from uh. Wow! I know, I know. I can- that's really bad. Big Fuck, words. we're gonna get Big killed. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't like okay. it.
0: I don't like it. I, I don't like it. That. But you know, yeah, I know. You can't deny hotness when you see <laughs> it. Um. Okay. T. Glover asks, which one of you would make the best president of these United States and why?
3: I mean, President Master Monaco, of course. There's no no denial there. I am anticipating it, as a matter of fact. Um, Alyssa, please. I smoke too much
2: pot. I'll never
3: be president.
2: (laughs) They still – because you know what? It's like I can't become president and then fix the pot rules, like legalize marijuana federally because I want to smoke the pot. And this administration – is not super friendly to the weed. And so I think that they would hinder any run. But most of you guys, I just think I might wanna run for mayor of Hudson, New York someday. <laughs> I, think that's- I would love to. Oh my this. God, I you just should. I, I, The last couple of years have made me super local level loving. And yes. uh, you see that I, I think that actual change can happen more at a local level in some cases. So, though I appreciate it, Grace, so, so much. I mean it. I really do. But Thank I would you. love
3: to see Mayor Alyssa as well. That makes me real happy. Mayor Alyssa, just roll around town.
0: <laughs> Grace, I would think you would be such a good. You'd be such oh, a good president, public speaker, yeah. politician. Oh, like I everyone don't. would love you. No, I don't know. That's very sweet. I Alyssa I, I, would have some haters.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I feel like I, I feel like I got some skeletons. Probably there's some skeletons there. <laughs> we all have
2: skeletons.
3: We really, yeah. And I, I don't know. I really like to just come home at night and watch watch TV and Watch not, Succession.
2: I really do. But if you I were really president do. of the United States, you could get an early screener of the Succession finale and probably mm. watch it with Logan Roy. You know, that is the biggest incentive
3: I have wow. ever heard for running for public office. That might be worth it. That alone might be worth
0: it. I have a really random question, actually, for you, Alyssa. I don't know if you remember this. Remember… People were like screaming about Biden having a Peloton because it like violates some sort of like security thing because of the camera. Do we know if he kept his Peloton? No idea. But well, after, well if he and watched
2: he got- Sex <laughs> in the City, he might have gotten rid of it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. If it
0: hasn't
3: killed him already, I can't believe. By the way, the, the Ryan Reynolds commercial was very funny to me. I can't believe how quickly they came out with that. It was for um, what was it for again? Was he advertising Peloton? His
0: was, was it a, an ad? You no, know, he was probably advertising his like gin or something, right?
3: You know what's interesting? An company? I don't know. It might have been for either. It might have been for either of them. But it was it was a uh, Ryan Reynolds ad uh, with Mr. Big coming back to life, and uh, it was Peloton. Yeah, it was Peloton. Yeah, I really appreciated that commercial. I don't know how Ryan Reynolds comes up with this stuff and how
0: quick he's able to get these things on air. But ooh, what a winner! He's really on the Peloton beat. Remember that yeah. one ad? <laughs> Like two years ago. Yeah. Um, He did it with that one actress. Okay, next question from Annabelle. She asks, I'm a first year at a historically women's college, which is completely wonderful except for the fact that I am afflicted with the unfortunate desire to date men and eventually have a boyfriend. How do I go about this, especially considering that all my fabulous friends can simply date each other and don't have to leave campus? Do I have to go on dating apps? Should I get cats and call it a day? What should I do? Why do we always
2: just default to being alone equals getting cats, okay? You can, have, you can have a very nice, fulfilled life and lovely husband and also have cats. But Grace, please <laughs> t- take us away on the dating advice. Well, you know, I went to an all-girl
3: high school myself. I will say that I didn't really date, but that was, that was high school. It was a different situation. I was living with my parents. Didn't know who I was or any of that. Um, I, you know, I, I think that it's important to remember this is but a blip in your life. These few years are a very small uh, period of your existence. And you also have Summers, where you could be anywhere, probably not on campus. You've got study abroad opportunities, which I would take full advantage of. And I'm not sure which town or city you're you're um writing to us from, but I remember, um, uh, I went to Columbia, which uh, Barnard College is part of the part of the campus, and that was a really interesting experience for Barnard graduates and Barnard friends um, because they got the experience of being in an all-girl, single-sex environment, but also had a, a co-ed campus that was right next door. There's lots of commingling. So it's very possible that uh, you're writing in from a town or a city that has lots of other colleges nearby, which I would say co-mingle the hell out of. I mean, go to those party campuses, meet people outside of your experience. What I think is awesome is you get the experience of essentially having a safe space to learn, to make friends, to not think about or worry about dating, to come into who you are as an individual, but know that there are going to be so many opportunities and are at present opportunities to meet people when you so desire. So it's cool that you don't have to make it a priority of yours or a focus, but um, I think there's a bunch of opportunities nearby. Um, Maybe even the dating app thing, too. I did learn a few years ago that dating apps are pretty popular with college students, which I wouldn't have expected because I imagine that Ever. You know, you're sort of yeah you're sort of meeting people in general uh, every day just by existing. But I imagine with COVID especially, it's beneficial to be able to talk to people via text first because, you know, you don't want to waste health on um, somebody with some COVID nasties. I don't know. <laughs>
0: Okay, next question. Uh, Sarah asks, what Harry Potter houses are you? And what Harry Potter houses do you wish you were in?
2: I've never seen Harry Potter ever. Oh! So, so I'm okay. out for
0: this one.
3: Okay, I'm Hufflepuff. And I was uh, concerned at first because I always imagine myself to be Gryffindor. But I'm Hufflepuff through and through. I'm also recently... Well, okay. I, I'll say a few things about that. Um, first of all, I, uh, I I enjoy being a Hufflepuff because it's a little under the radar. I think there's some fabulous people who come from Hufflepuff. Um, and it's also very fun <laughs> to take these. Who are the fabulous these... people from Hufflepuff? I don't know. The people who, who we don't hear about. I... <laughs> I, okay. I can't... Isn't Luna Lovegood from Hufflepuff? No. she's Ravenclaw? Ravenclaw. Okay. All right. Clearly, I need to rewatch my my Harry Potters. Uh, all I know is that I'm Hufflepuff, and I feel really strong about it. But I will say, on the beat of taking quizzes to figure out which personality type you are, I recently took the um uh personality—which is the personality test with the, like, INFT, the EF— Oh, Briggs-Meyer. The, yeah, recently right? did Briggs-Meyer. And I, I've done this a few times in my life, but I tested introvert for the first time in my life recently, which— I think that my diagnosis of falling into House Hufflepuff actually premeditated by a few years. I've shifted into, <laughs> into, into, uh, into introvert territory, and I think, that by, uh, I think that that Hufflepuff was my entree into that world. So what about you, Caroline? Are you, do you know which house you are?
0: Um, I am Gryffindor and with uh, the Slytherin rising. Wow. You
3: know? <laughs> yeah. That's the dream combo, I think.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm pretty much Harry Potter. Right. mm -hmm. That's Harry Potter. Um, What do we think Alyssa is? She's Gryffindor through and through. I would actually say, I I think you're Gryffindor or Ravenclaw.
3: Ooh, Ravenclaw. That sounds saucy. Uh, It's pretty saucy, but I think she's Gryffindor with with Slytherin Rising, actually, Caroline. I think you both are. Yeah.
1: Because Alyssa can be
3: spicy. Alyssa can be spicy. A little spicy. Alyssa tells tells it as it is. She's had experience working with dark forces. (laughs) <laughs> that it's is true. politics. True. So I feel like I feel like that that you guys have the exact same background there.
0: Hmm. Okay, next question. Jenny asks Alyssa, what is your fondest memory of the holidays at the White House? Is it as amazing as the West Wing makes it look?
2: So here is a true and heartwarming story. When my favorite memory of the holidays is actually from the Bush administration because (laughs) – no, let me tell you why. So when the transition happens – so we had won the election in 2008 and between, you know, December of 08 and January of 09, you have the transition process. And so um, as part of this process, I was still living in Chicago, but I would fly to D.C. and we would do – meetings with folks who were in the White House still. And they would show you where things were and tell you how things operate and all this kind of stuff. So one day, my deputy Danielle and I were going in for our meeting, and we go to the gate, and they say, uh, actually, uh, ladies, your meeting is in the West Wing today, and I had never been in the West Wing before ever. And uh, Danielle and I were like, no, 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 no. We're going to the EEOB, which is the building right next door. And the security guy was like not charmed or amused and was like, <laughs> no, please proceed to the other gate. Your meeting is in the West Wing. So the two of us, we had uh, – our, our our business clothes were ill-fitting, to say the least. Um, <laughs> we We check in and we're walking down the walkway where you always see the reporters called Pebble Beach. And we were holding hands because – It was, we were so nervous and so stressed. And it's a funny thing because I'm five foot two and a little white lady and Danielle has got to be 5'10 or 5'11 and she is a black woman and we laugh. We would call ourselves little white rose and big black rose. And so the roses, (laughs) the roses were going to the West Wing and we get there and what we found out was that the people who worked there, um, the chief of staff at the time was Josh Bolton. I think that's who it was. And uh, they called Danielle and I in and he said, you know what? Uh, We know the jobs you're going to have when you get here. And uh, when you get to the White House, Christmas is the most wonderful time of year. But if you actually work here, it is a nightmare because (laughs) things get crazy. Like, you know, things get crazy at the holidays. It's the end of the year. There's always like some congressional crisis. And so they said to us that they wanted to take us on a tour of the holiday decorations so that we would always have a memory of uh, enjoying them when it wasn't our responsibility to make thousands of other people enjoy the holidays. And so they took Danielle and I on a guided tour of the West Wing and the East Wing so we could see all the Christmas decorations and take them in. And we were like two little country mice just like taking it all in so slow, like taking in every site, every tree, every wreath. It was genuinely so special and so kind I, I it it made such an impression on me that people would care enough to make sure that we had that kind of like emotional positive experience. So that is actually my favorite Christmas memory from working in the white house
3: that is is wow. absolutely adorable, and it it makes
2: me long for a time when transitions were. Happy. Yes. That's, you know, that's what was so hard about watching some of what had happened is that that sure. memory is so seared in my brain, you know, that they thought we were such nice people. They wanted to make sure that we were always able, that we had one Christmas where we were able to enjoy like nothing but the beauty of the Christmas decorations at yeah. uh, Hollywood. They really prioritized. Yeah, they prioritized. did. It was very nice. So that's a nice mm-hmm. question. I'm glad somebody asked that.
0: Um, okay, well, hard left because Kat is asking if you could regulate any part of the male body, what would it be, and what would you be regulating?
3: Oh boy, you know, you know what I'd regulate? I'd regulate back hair. I, I, <laughs> this is getting, this is getting, this is getting personal. I don't have a lot of experience with this per, personally. My husband has a fabulous back. Love his back; it's great <laughs> as it is. Trust me. But I see you know, videos, shows that feature, you know, some men. I, I go on, you know, to the beach, whatnot. There's gentlemen that have a lot of back hair, like a really crazy amount of back hair. Like sometimes, sometimes they wear polo shirts and you can see it even like going down the back of their arms, sticking out, just real bushy. And I feel like that shit needs to, <laughs> that shit needs to be regulated. <laughs> Women, we don't have that. We don't have that
2: issue. I don't like it. And I think just universally it should go away. I mean, I don't know if we can do this, but I would like to regulate their brains to never be able to have an opinion on our bodies. Right? (laughs) I think that's where I'm at. I
0: think
2: that's where I'm at. I
0: like that. Okay. Uh, Nanwar asks Do you think Shiv and Roman deserved it? Talking about succession. Oh, of course.
3: I do think that they deserved it. I will say that an interesting perspective came up in the last day that I've been sitting with, which is a a reminder that Shiv was on her own career path for a very long time. She worked in politics. She made a name for herself with, by the way, a different party from the one that the Roy family supports. She really had her own thing going. And it was Logan who convinced her to come back into the fray of Waystar Royco And Logan, who ultimately fucked her over at the end as far as, uh, you know, end of the season goes. So I will say that as far as her career goes, that's the only area in which I question if she deserved what she got. In every other way, 100% she did.
2: Yeah. I mean, she and Roman – I mean, because here's the thing. When Kendall was – every time Kendall has kind of gone out on one of these, like, power moves – if I'm right I mean he's usually asked them if they want to come with him like do you guys want to do this with me Yeah and yeah. I feel like they really turned their back on Kendall now look Kendall has been throwing off some obnoxious vibes this season so it's like kind of hard to think about wanting to make a proactive choice to be around him but I Baggers think that only. I think yeah I think that <laughs> I I think that they I think that they uh you know they went nut nut and <laughs> And I think they did deserve it. I think they did deserve it, but I hope it bonds them all together. I mean, I really hope that this bond that it feels like was forged in the finale sticks because I think that is a very exciting season ahead.
3: I I will say two things to that, Alyssa. I agree completely. I think that bond might be the glimmer of hope that Kendall needs to be able to continue. It's kind of the only thing. Yeah, it
2: was, right? Like, he had, like, there was glimmers of life in that van when they were heading to the castle Mm, when he was sitting there sort of, like, catatonic, and they were talking about, like, whether they could stop it, and he's like, yes, we absolutely can through the holding company. They need a (laughs) supermajority. I mean… Like, I mean, I felt like I learned something and you saw sort of like the spark come back because before yes. they got into the van, he was like, can I come with you guys? <laughs>
0: <It's> so sad. <laughs>
2: you know
3: you know what, what I wonder also is do you think that Tom's betrayal could actually be the best thing for his marriage? Is it yes. possible yes. that Shiv needs that kind of pushback in order to feel compelled in her
2: marriage. Yeah. Either that or Tom's just going to get richer and not need her anymore. So. Yep. (laughs) It's It's kind of a win-win for Tom.
0: (laughs) Do we ever know Tom's backstory? Like, did he come from an independently wealthy family too? He must have to be running with them.
2: No. No, I don't think so. Remember, he's like from someplace in the Midwest and like- He went to Cornell. Right. He went to Cornell. He's got his
3: the fly guys, his, his bros. The his buds, fly guys. Wow, I hope back. we see in season four. They
2: got to come back. Right. But he, because remember, there was a whole issue about whether or not his family was going to make it to the wedding. And right. Right. I can't remember, but I feel like he was not independently wealthy. Not, not as much, certainly, no. I mean, I think he was like,
3: this is, this, is, uh, this is broad, but and I don't really know what I mean by it, but Cornell wealthy. And like the kind of white dude who would have enough money to an interest in going to Cornell. Like, you mean
0: like the I, Cornell I think, dude from White Lotus? Yes, <laughs> yes.
2: Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Enough money to get you the pineapple sweet. Exactly. <laughs> or to not get
0: you the pineapple sweet. Exactly, yes. to
2: get downgraded and then upgraded with enough
0: abuse. Um, okay. Let's do a few more. Natasha asks, what has been your favorite and least favorite pop culture moment for women in 2021?
2: Oh, that's a great question. Oh, I love that question. I guess favorite is probably Britney's free, right? I think that's- Oh, yeah. I think that's my favorite is that Britney, Britney is free. I, I think so. I think it. it, it just
3: implies a win for- lady folk in general. And it was really cool to see so many people of all genders come out to support her um, and to, you know, reflect on the way that the media really saw and treated and in many ways continues to treat young women specifically. You know, it was sort of an indictment on that style of journalism and an approach to... um, You know, viewing viewing a pop star that we just lived with for so long, Uh, it was cool, and I think we learned a lot about conservatorship too, which most people did not know much about. I certainly did not.
2: No, I think my other favorite pop culture moment too is like Taylor Swift taking her rights back, Mm -hmm. you know, and releasing her album. I mean, that has been so. um, I am a I am a Taylor Swift fan, but I really this album I really really I genuinely uh, enjoyed very much.
3: Taylor's version.
2: Taylor's version. You know a, a least favorite is it actually pretty pretty
3: recent um actually I think it just came out today or yesterday. Uh, ben Affleck said something <gasps> to the effect of if I was still with Jennifer Garner I would oh, be drinking. Yeah. That was I, fuck that guy. What that the was fuck? real fuck. That was real bad. That was real bad. that that's a bad mo- that's a bad moment. It's a bad look for Ben. it's it's awful. It, 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 I don't know Jennifer Garner personally, but I imagine that she she's not worthy uh, she's she does not deserve somebody saying
2: notoriously the nicest.
3: Yeah. His
2: kids are old enough His to kids. hear that.
3: Like They're, The kids what are. The they fuck? really are. You
2: know what? The only thing he's ever, well, I mean, he's done some things that I've enjoyed, but my favorite is obviously when he played Chucky in Goodwill Hunting. And what a <laughs> fall from grace. Because Chucky I know. would never do that. Because the the code no. in Southie, they would never, that would never happen. So anyway. it would ne- It would never happen. I, love I agree. You know what? I also,
3: as as, as our eagle-eared hysteria listeners will know, I'm a big J-Lo fan. I love her. And I don't know that Ben Affleck is good enough for her. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like the way he talks about his ex. I don't like his his behavior. Uh, I really don't like the Phoenix tattoo that he's got on his back. I know <laughs> we've been talking a lot about, about men's backs today, but I'm not uh, into that shit. Uh, That's
0: a low moment for me.
2: I agree. I agree. I was having a hard time thinking of a low one, but that's pretty bad.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. Let's do two more. This one is from Calhounas,
2: and she asks, what's your favorite tote bag ever? Parentheses for work. Oh, I love my Canvas LL Bean Bag. Size Mm. medium, handle regular, not long. I have so many of them. They're indestructible. They're perfect. Uh, And the medium size doesn't allow you to put too, too much in it that would hurt your back. This is a journey I've had over the years and actually ended up with very serious back problems because I was using a work tote that was too heavy. It was too big and I could put too much in it and it messed up my back. So here is my non-sponsored plug for L.L. Bean and they're cheap. They're like 55 bucks. If you get it monogrammed, which obviously all of mine are monogrammed. (laughs) Got to.
3: I love LLB. And I second that. I will say, if you're not going to go tote and you're going to go in the direction of backpack for those heavier days. good idea. Which, you know, we all have our our heavy flows and our light flows. If you got a heavy flow that day, got to go Herschel. Herschel's a fantastic mm-hmm. brand. I really like, really like their backpacks. You know, the totes that I use, though, with such frequency that I see around everywhere I go, that New Yorker canvas tote that you get every time you subscribe, it is ubiquitous. It's great for a reason because to your point, Alyssa, it doesn't allow you to stick too much in it. So it's just the right amount. It's washable. So, I mean, I'm looking at mine right now. I love it. Big, big fan of that one.
0: It also says, I'm smart. <laughs> I I read. read. Yeah. <laughs> I read. I read the entire Jeremy Strong profile is what that was. Um, Okay, last question from someone named Sure, yeah. They ask, who wins number one, fuck that guy for 2021? And do you have any runner-ups?
2: Ooh, number one,
3: fuck that guy. I mean, I'll tell you one of them. Elon Musk is up there for me. Okay, that's fair. You know, I... I think uh, for a couple reasons. First of all, he he called Elizabeth Warren yesterday on Twitter, Senator Karen, because <gasps> she, yeah, because she criticized yeah. how he. Uh, you know, as as a billionaire doesn't pay taxes like the rest of us. And he was like, I paid more taxes than any other American. And you know that if you weren't Senator Karen or some bullshit like that. I dislike the fact that he's on the cover of Time magazine as the person of the year. I think that's disgusting. Um, I don't like his public personality. And I think it's a big red flag when people of any gender think that Elon Musk is some sort of a god. Um, I think he's an intelligent guy for sure. I think he's just been elevated to positions of power that he, that frankly, no, no one man should have all that power to quote. Kanye.
2: I agree. And I'm gonna go with Jim Jordan. Because yeah. he's just trash. Yeah. He's just yeah. trash. And and I am worried if we lose the house, who's gonna? Mm. I mean, he is so dangerous yeah. because he is so willfully stupid, you know? But he has more power. But he's he's willfully stupid. He's malevolent. He is the most dangerous of all the ding-dongs in that party, I think, because mm-hmm. I think he's willing to lie to do anything and that he comes off as more credible for some reason. So I'm going to say my my fuck that guy of 2021 is Jim Jordan.
3: That's a really good one. Why does he come off as more credible? You're so right about I that. I don't
2: know why. I think it's because he's always like indignant, you know, and he's not like… He doesn't do the tr- the fucking showy stuff. Like he's not like walking around with a gun and you know like the Lauren Bobert and the Marjorie Taylor Green and all those ding dongs. But he there's something about him I don't know that for some reason comes off as more serious. I guess is uh, mm-hmm. is the word. And he's he's like a fucking terrible person. So fuck him. Yeah. Caroline, who's, yeah, who's your yours? Yeah, who's yours, Caroline? Him? Mine would absolutely
0: be Joe Rogan. Oh, um, good. Call. I, think I forgot he's- about him. He's perpetuated so much false information, and he yeah. has the ear of so many people. And what's so frustrating about him is I feel like he knows better, but he knows he's getting all its attention, all this money, all this clout for just speaking bullshit. And, you know, my beloved Fear Factor host has turned <laughs> evil. Oh, that, yeah, he really he's has. never my beloved. He's never my beloved. That was a joke.
2: And in that vein, <laughs> in that vein, I would say my runner up are all of the conservative DJs who were COVID deniers and then all got COVID mm-hmm. and were like, yo, yeah. that shit's real.
0: <laughs> and like three of them died of COVID. I know. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I, dude. That is
2: not okay. I mean, I'm not. That is not. Nobody deserves that. That's no, not No, no I'm one saying. deserves to no. die. But no. I'm just saying, okay, I'm glad it's real now that it happened to you, motherfuckers. <laughs> Okay, guys, so let's take a break. And when we get back, I feel petty. Guys, it's been a rough year. It's going to get rougher, and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet. You
0: could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender, do your worst.
2: Welcome back. No official housekeeping from our crooked media overlords, but just a reminder to watch the holiday movie, The Christmas Setup, so you can be fully caught up for next week's holiday episode. It's linked in our show notes. Okay, let's get petty. Guys, I have a petty that's related to our show today. And let me just say this. If you're on social media, if you're on Twitter, you're on Instagram and something big has happened, like the finale of *Mayor of Easttown or Succession, stop tweeting. No spoilers. Fuck Uh, off. Stay off social media, okay? Because you know why I say this is my petty this week? Because I legitimately saw people tweeting that, and I was like, okay, I'm not going to tweet. And, like, I wanted to talk about it. And so if you're not on board, Just fucking get on board or stay off Twitter until you watch it. So that is my petty. Stop tweeting. No spoilers, please. Or like. I love that. Right? It's like, come on. Don't drag us down with you just because you didn't do the homework. Okay? We did. I have not had a lot of reasons to be positive and fun on Twitter, and I really was excited. And then I saw someone be like, no spoilers. And I was like, okay. And it really robbed me of some joy. So (laughs) that is mine. Grace, what are you feeling petty about?
0: Wait, can I just say really quick, the true evils there are Twitter and Instagram because they've made us so addicted to the apps that – it becomes second nature to just open them, and then all of a sudden you're seeing spoilers. And I will say, like, I'm not yelling no spoilers at people, but I'm feeling that in my heart when I open up Instagram as a default because I'm a sad person and just see
2: something. I'm like, fuck, no! It sucks. So then let me also just say that as a runner-up for fuck that guy, Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> yes, agreed. Co-sign. Yes.
3: Co-sign. Okay, Grace. Okay, here's my petty. Uh, I don't think it's fair that there is not a universal meaning of what a queen-size duvet is and what a king-size duvet is. And I'll tell you why. Because I have a lovely queen-size bed, a fantastic queen-size mattress. I really like it. Bought a queen-size duvet a few months ago. Really liked it. A little short. Felt like I was wearing short pants. Just didn't quite co- – I mean, it covers, you know, the mattress. But, like, you stick a couple bodies in there, and suddenly, like, you're, you're just – you're fighting, okay? So I thought I was being smart. <laughs> I put a king-sized duvet on my wedding registry. A friend of ours delightfully gifted it to us. I was so excited when it came in. I bought a new duvet cover and everything. Now it's too long. <laughs> now, it's too, now it's dragging. Now it's dragging on the floor. It's picking up dust and hair and shit. I don't want that. Why can't we get this right? Why is there not a universal understanding of exactly what the perfect size duvet is, which is not so short that you're fighting with your partner,
2: but not so long that you're dragging on the floor. What are we doing here? You, I'm gonna laugh. That makes me laugh so hard because we have moved to a coverlet instead of a duvet. Interesting. Because of that. Interesting. Because it was like a coverlet is it's like a quilt kind of.
0: Oh. Oh yeah. But
2: but we were like, because it's true. All of a sudden you get in and there's what I like to call cold (laughs) airflow. Which is that when it's not perfectly coming over the sides. You get cold air. And so when my husband will get into bed, I'll be like, cold air, cold air. Like, <laughs> shut it down. Shut it down.
0: You get yeah. it. You the benefits of being single.
2: I know. Yes. No cold air. <laughs> Got the
0: whole duvet to yourself.
2: Whole duvet to yourself. Whole duvet, baby. Cherish it. Cherish it. All right. It. Caroline, bring us home.
0: Okay. This has been on my mind for three years Whoa. of doing hysteria. Whoa. Like, it's just been, like, ready to come out. I hate when people text me the word sure. It is the most evil act you can do to anyone who you know has any sort of anxiety disorder because the word sure, unless are you checking me if you've ever texted me sure, the word sure kind of thrusts an emotional ambiguity onto the other person. Hey, I'm asking you, do you want to hang out? Sure. I'm like, okay, bitch, do you actually want to hang
2: out with me or am I forcing you? It is. <laughs> okay. No, I was worried. I was worried about sure, but it was just a yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's
0: fine. That's fine. Yeah. Okay.
2: is fine. Yeah. Okay.
0: You've, you've, you've made a stance. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I got it. Great. Sure. How are you feeling? Pick a lane. Yeah. Don't thrust this ambiguity on me. It's not fair. And it is really sh- stresses me out. I hate it.
2: Is sure the sister to fine? Oh yeah. Fine
0: to me says like, like, ugh, fine. Like you're not happy about it, but you'll do it. Right. Sure to me literally is meaningless and it's just like a big question mark. I hate it. it you know it's what? It's so horrible.
2: I agree with you. I will make sure to never do that again. I, I mean, I don't think I have. No, but if I have, I apologize because I agree <laughs> with you. That yeah. is like I agree, I agree
3: too. I mean, mean word. I, I think there's a couple ways it can be dressed up. A sure exclamation point tells you exactly what lame you're in. Oh no, you don't think so? Yeah, I agree. Hurts.
2: I agree. If you ask, if you add the exclamation point, that is very affirmative. What then just say like hell yeah. Why sure? Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of other options. There was a period where I said sure
3: thing, T-H-A-N-G. How do we feel about that? Oh, what? sure thing. Sure thing.
0: Um, yeah, that's like if I'm asking you to do something and you're saying sure nicely. Yeah. But if I'm asking you a question to hang out, what are your thoughts on something? Like all these different things. And if your answer is sure, is just yeah, – it's it's It's, it's,
2: it's
3: not great. I, I agree with I agree with you completely. I, I agree with you completely. I don't like it. Let's eliminate it.
0: You guys – I'd rather someone text me K.
2: <laughs> oh, I don't really Single. like I I don't like K. I don't like but K. But I'm going to say that my New Year's resolution will be to never callously use sure via text. It's a great resolution. I think that's a great
3: resolution. You know what? That's, a, that's an actionable resolution too. Right? Yeah. That's, I mean, I think,
2: that's, I think that's good. Yeah. All right. Sure. Um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Thank you, Grace for coming and being with us for the last couple of weeks. Thank you, Caroline, for agreeing to join us for Mailbag. I know I had to twist your arm. Thank you to the listeners for sending in all of your questions. Be sure to tune in next week and watch the Christmas setup. We'll see you then.
1: Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Reston is our producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer, and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis are the sound engineers, and our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Thank you to our digital team, Nara Melkonian, Mia Kelman, Milo Kim, and Matt DeGroot.